Okay. All right. So today, today uh, we're with Jay Collins, who is a special forces vet, a Purple uh, Re Heart recipient. Um, and Jay, we wanted to bring you in and to talk to you about, you know, the Afghan evacuation and your feelings because you have served in, I think it's three theaters uh, and one was Afghanistan and That's for right. a considerable amount of time and you went back in. So give us your thoughts about um, whether or not this was a refugee uh, reintegration disaster or whether the evacuation was a disaster. What are your thoughts about this? Well, first and foremost, my heart goes out to the, the people of Afghanistan, right? Uh, almost two decades ago, the U.S. stepped in and uh, we tried to root, root out extremists from, from Afghanistan. And now, 20 years later, we're right back where we started. It's heartbreaking. The women and children who were there when we stepped in, that grew up hoping to have freedom, uh, have had that taken away because of policy, because of a lack of leadership on the international stage. Uh, Afghanistan and people like the Afghanis deserve the opportunity for freedom, and they deserve the leader of the free world to set that standard and tone and do things the right way. Uh, I did serve in Afghanistan. I served in Iraq and I served all over South America in my time with seven special forces group uh, and other organizations. And it's heartbreaking what we've done. Uh, it's demoralizing to our veterans. You know, personally, I can, I can speak for myself. Uh, I would go back in today, tomorrow, at the drop of a hat to go do this the right way. Those people, uh, we owed them our best and unfortunately, I don't think the Biden administration allowed our service members or our nation to do this the right way. I believe we fell victim to political ideology uh, as opposed to doing the right thing. <clears throat> you know, it's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And if you listen to what the American people say right now, I don't think the Biden administration is really doing what represents the heart and optics that the American people believe in. We want to do the hard right, and we're failing because we're taking the easy out. For political banter. And Todd, with your military background in the Air Force, do you feel the same way as Jay? Yeah, I didn't serve in Afghanistan. Um, I left the Air Force in the after the first Gulf War, but uh, I, I'm concerned about a few things. Um, a lot of Afghans have been brought over, um, and just from a, an operator moving people back and forth. Yeah. Talk about the vetting process, um, because I, we've getting reports that there's burn victims in hospitals in Madison. Uh, you know, unguarded, unvetted with their families. How should Americans feel about these people? Well, first and foremost, I hope that uh, they're doing a better job than what I'm hearing. I hope that that's the case. Uh, information and vetting is only as beneficial and only as good as the backside and front side. To go ahead and get biometrics on a person, it doesn't really matter if you haven't got biometrics on the front end as well, right? Mm-hmm. You have to do a better job vetting. This is a real security risk, right? Yeah. Let's look at the withdrawal process and look at how we got here, right? We projected in the May timeframe that we were going to step out and have zero troops, right? In this by August 31st. Big step. So what does that do, right? It emboldened the Taliban. It emboldened ISIS because uh, contrary to what the Biden administration may think, how do you think ISIS-K caused the deaths of our service members? They didn't get to those Taliban checkpoints magically. They're, coll they're collaborating, right? Let's just be honest. Sure. The enemy of my enemy is my enemy in this case, right? Uh, so we did that. We projected this out. That demoralized the Afghan allies there, right? They're like, okay, I guess they're serious. And then what happened? We took a step forward 
And we failed to communicate this to the people we were serving with on the ground. Again, further demoralizing it. Can you imagine how they felt on the ground to have American allies, people they'd fought with for almost two decades, leave in the middle of the night? I can tell you how I would feel if I woke up and all of a sudden I'm in, I'm in Alamo by myself. My heart would break, right? I'd have a pit in the middle of my stomach and wonder what was going on. And then once we started seeing the fissuring and the failure of the strategy, rather than doing the right thing and standing by our allies, we doubled down in the middle of the summer offensive in a region that is known to be fighting centric between March and late summer, early fall. We decided, no, you know what? Let's leave when all of the bad guys are right here to make this very simplistic, right? Again, demoralizing. We gave banter to our, our enemies in Iran, China. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. And we continue to do this. And then rather than holding uh, the right spaces like Bagram and Kabul so we can do this in two fronts and get more people out quickly, we decided to back ourselves into the smallest possible footprint we can, making ourselves a target, right? So everything we've done through this process has been done for lack of strategy, a lack of operational functionality. And then we wonder why bad things are happening and why the Taliban army isn't standing up for themselves. We taught them to fight like us. We taught them to fight with American support, with air support. And then we wonder, why are they, why are they caving? Because you abandoned our allies, because you didn't give them the time to be ready. We did a poor job setting this up. So now let's take this to your question, right? We've mm -hmm. set the stage where we're in the middle of this zone. I don't think there was a real strategy on the ground to get these people out. If you look at what they're doing, they're just throwing people on planes. There's no strategic or operational tactical sense to how we're doing it. The only reason they did this was because the will of the American people came through because of people like you, Todd, people like you, Christine, putting this in the media and hammering the administration. When you don't plan for things to go well, this is what you get. Unfortunately- something that, that kind of bothers me, and it's yes. only because it's been said several times by President Biden. He has, he has said several times that you know china and russia would love for america to be in afghanistan and i find that bewildering because china has its sights for their uh brick road initiative on the northern right. side of afghanistan so what's your reaction when you hear the commander-in-chief say something like that jay it's ridiculous uh, it's absolutely ridiculous China has been in that region trying to get mineral rights for over a decade and a half, right? This is a long strategic game for them, right? Really, they, they don't, they, they, they don't, they want us there. So what, we can slow down their ability to get those mineral, mineral rights, to push their road initiative, to have it go right through Taliban territory. They want us out because they want to have a deal with the Taliban. And how's that going to embolden China on the world stage? Russia, Iran, guys, we're losing strategy in the Middle East. It's a, it's a tumultuous area, and we've essentially poured kerosene on a, on a fire that's already in existence. How do you suppose this is going to happen? And Todd, to your question, yeah, man, we didn't plan to get these people out right. We're mm. absolutely going to be bringing in the wrong people periodically. When a whole group of fighting age males show up with no women and children, you might want to step back and think, what's going on here? Yeah. Why are there only fighting age males all dressed alike showing up? Now, my heart goes out to the people who legitimately fought by, by us, but had we done this the right way in a thought out process and done a true vetting process, we wouldn't be where we're at. 
but it would have taken keeping Bagram, keeping Kabul, leaving behind special operators to help do this vetting process, who put their blood, sweat, and tears. Well, in yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, we hear words like incompetence, you know, idiots, uh, you know, didn't think about it, didn't plan well. I just think it's very obvious. You don't give up Bagram when you need an airfield to evacuate, do an evacuation. You don't force troops into an unsecure area where two guys with a mortar tube can take out airplanes on the runway. You, you don't do that. So then you think, what is the agenda? You don't leave $82 billion in military equipment. I just find it's completely on purpose. I mean, what? and, and this is what the Biden regime is doing, humiliating us, providing building a terrorist super state, providing weapons, build it, bringing in terrorists, putting it on, mil I mean, bringing in ter possible terrorists to Air Force bases where it just takes, I mean, how much is a B-2 bomber worth and a guy crosses the fence? I and mean, these planes are not well guarded So right. in the States. So, I mean, wh what are your thoughts to that? I mean, I'm saying the quiet part out loud, but I mean, what do you think? So uh, I, I think that we have to do a real investigation. We have to deep dive into this. This has been a complete tire fire from the jump, right? Since May on, the Biden administration has failed to lead and do things the right way. Was it on purpose? Was it not? I don't know. It's either gross incompetence and negligence or it's something else, right? But we have to get into the bottom of this. We have to go through and ask these hard questions and we have to make and hold people accountable. If the Biden administration failed because of ineptitude, they need to be held accountable. Those service members who lost their lives those Afghani allies and the, the mess in Afghanistan is directly because of a lack of leadership from Biden, because of this um, lack of forethought, frankly, in the region. And regardless if it's on purpose or if it's complete lack of capability, accountability and culpability matters. And that's what the American people want to hear and see. Like, hey, guys, y'all screwed up. Whose job was this? Was it Biden not listening to his advisors? You've got to think that in the command and staff, with all the generals across our army, somebody might have said, we're not doing the right thing here. If Biden didn't listen to his advisors, he absolutely has to be held accountable. When the State Department, the intelligence community, and the military all come out and say, look, we told you so, mm -hmm. you should be shocked because those three never agree on anything. Is it normal to leave, you know, there's pictures on the internet, and I don't know whether they've been verified or not, but of the cash, the mounds of cash, you know, the $100 bills that are stacked. If, if it's true, all right, is that normal to leave a bundle of dollars behind, a bundle of money behind guys in, in a war zone? No, it's not normally people. I mean, to say we got 90% of our people out or 98, if you left one person, it's wrong. We don't leave American citizens, American allies behind. We don't leave cash. We don't leave helicopters, armament. Now, to come back and say, hey, we disabled some of it. No, you didn't. We've seen images on the video on the Internet of those things being used. Right. Don't make up stories after the fact. This has been a complete and utter lack of planning and leadership by the Biden administration. It's a complete mess. It's unacceptable. So who's who's responsible for this? I mean, who makes these? That's what I want to know. Who Who's in the room? making this these decisions let's leave the the armament behind let's leave bundles of cash behind let's send over somebody from the biden administration to meet with the taliban leaders before the last flight is out i mean it, it, you know it, the optics here are so transparently either inept 
or somebody's line, but how do you hold these people accountable? Because who's in the room is what I want to know. Is this a Sullivan decision? I don't know. I honestly don't know who's in the room. It could be Sullivan, but ultimately, who's the president of the United States? His advisors and the people on his team ultimately need to be held accountable. They're responsible. He said the buck stops with me. That's one of the few things I agree with Biden on. The buck does stop with him. You're the president of the United States. Our nation and our people deserve better. There are many people that uh, I think figures we pointed at, but we have to go through this functionally and intelligently and find the people and we have to hold them accountable. I think that the tincture of time will show who's, who's accountable and the whys for this if it's done the right way. That's what we have to do. Tell us about your congressional run. I mean, that's the next thought. I mean, how yeah. are, how what do you plan on doing to 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 get accountability? I mean, I, I think these guys should be held under military justice, you know, the UCMJ type stuff. But that's but I have my hard ass when it comes to that, I guess. I mean, what what do you think? How do we deal with this? So first and foremost, you know, as a Green Beret, we're people of action, right? Mm-hmm. If I don't like the tenor of where our com- our country is going, I have a couple of choices. I can sit down and complain. Uh, get on the internet and be a keyboard warrior, right? Or I can stand up and do something about it. At our core, our nation is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Let's ask ourselves, is the will of the people being met by the current administration, by the representation that we have? The very job that I'm going for is a representative role. I should be a representative of American ideas, ideals, and interests for the people. That's the first step. We got to talk to the people and ask them what they think. What are your feelings? How do we do this better to represent your values? Not tell them, this is what you need. This is what you think. This is how you feel. Americans can think for themselves. Our nation got to where it's at because Americans can think for themselves. That's what made us great. That's what made us strong. That's why when people uh, overthrow or try to overthrow the Cuban regime, or they fight for freedom in Venezuela or China, what symbol do they use? Right there, right? The American flag is the the international symbol of hope, freedom, and prosperity. We need to remind people of that. We have so much more in common than that which divides us, right? So how do we do that? You sit down, you talk, you remind people how much we have in common. And then you want to know how we keep people accountable? Well, one, we stop spending money we don't have, that my kids don't have, that my Mm -hmm. children's children and their children don't have. You can't make this stuff up, right? We can't continue to increase inflation, devalue the dollar, We can't continue to undermine our military and make them a social experiment. We can't devalue and divest the community of the police and our brave first responders. They're not the enemy. We're all trying to serve our community. If we bring people together and remind them what this nation was founded on, of, by, and for the people, that's what we have to do. We can't continue to let this nation be fissured by people who think that's the strategy that works best for their their political views. How do we do it? You have the hard conversations and you do work, yeah. period. I, so I Jay, tend to think that, well, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna ask, Jay, you, you're running for Congress in the Tampa area. So there's a lot of yes, constituency that belongs, that are members or vets, members of the military of vets. So what are you hearing from them in terms of this at Afghanistan pullout? Uh, across the board, uh, every veteran I know is heartbroken. I've had conversations with many friends. Uh, I don't think anybody wanted to be in Afghanistan forever, right? That's not what anybody's saying, but we had to leave that environment the right way. We had to leave and make the blood, sweat, and tears invested in that nation worthwhile. You know, by doing what we did and essentially handing over the Taliban, control the country, 
with our weapons, with our cash, even with some working dogs and personal dogs, right? And throwing our allies under the bus, we've made them the stronger, better version of the Taliban than they were when it started. We've empowered and enabled our enemy because of a lack of foresight. That's what veterans see. They don't wanna be there forever. They wanna know that their president issues the same values that we believe in. And that's selfless service. And I think that's the most problematic thing that we see from the Biden administration. It's not serving the flag, the nation, the American people. It's serving a partisan political agenda and it shows through in everything he does. What about That's the, uh, what, what do you hear about the State Department actually shutting down flights or, of guys still trying to get people out? I've heard that. And uh, you, you wanna know, Christine, your, to your question again, how people feel. Look at the retired Green Berets, the retired military people working together behind the scenes to try to get our allies out. Our people, that's what America is about. That if our government fails, I will stand up and I will not fail my allies. Mm -hmm. That's what we think. And if the State Department is stopping that, it's completely wrong. If you want to get the people out and you want to do it your way, then stand up and do the morally correct thing to get your ass in the game and get our people and get our allies out. Let's ask ourselves, why do we leave school children from California behind? Did anybody even stop and think about that? These are children trapped in Afghanistan. This isn't Disneyland, right? How could someone from the administration not say, stop, we will hold a plane for those children? The fact that they held to a plan to have people out for political banter and left children behind, I don't know why we're not shouting that from the top of the mountains. Yeah. As a parent, it breaks my heart. It makes me sick to my stomach. And I would go yeah. over there now to get those children out. And thank God that our service members are doing all they can to do that behind the scenes. Yeah, it is. It is astounding because when people have been reporting in the news or the mainstream press are talking about the children behind as if these are Afghani children. There are, in fact, Afghani orphanage, orphans that we know got to the airport and didn't get on the plane. But at the same time, we have American kids from California that are stuck in Afghanistan. And that, right. to me, is just disgraceful. It's, it's horrifying. I mean, absolutely horrifying. And the Biden fact that the State to Department knew about it, that, that's the thing, that's the thing that's, that's worrisome. They knew about it, and yet there's a justification and the, the narrative coming out of uh, when the last plane was up from the White House was, well, you know, there's just a couple of hundred of Americans. And I'm thinking, well, why would you leave America, you know... <laughs> You don't leave anybody behind. You don't leave Our anybody behind. We know this. This is this is Saigon, Benghazi. You you, you just and, and every journalist who's ever covered a war knows this. We don't right. go into a war zone without an exit plan. We don't leave people behind. And, and if they get into trouble, we pull them out. That has I mean, and anybody who has ever been in a war zone as a journalist knows that. You know, the, the young kids that went into Syria. They would hire a fixer, but they didn't have an exit plan and they got into trouble and some of them died. But, you know, we know that as seasoned people that you, you just do not do this and, and you, you, you don't lie about it. You try to get them out. That's right. Cole, you, you have to have the honor to do the right thing, right? One person is too many. We bring our American citizens and our people with us. No man, woman, person behind. It is that simple. That's what America believes in. That is what we've been founded on since the Jump Street, right? That's what we fought for. 
was representation and individual freedoms and rights. That's what our country's founded on. And we left people behind for no reason. Political nonsense. Jay, how do I? He wanted that deadline, August 31st. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. How do older vets uh, get involved? Uh, you know, we get a lot of people, um, when is somebody going to do something? And I'm like, it's time for you to do something. What are you going to do? So I turn it, turn it back on a lot of the comments we get when people are frustrated and angry. Uh, you're running for Congress. Everybody can't run for Congress. How, how should people get involved to fight this? So there's a lot of ways, right? Uh, the very first lesson that I ever learned in Special Forces, right? And mm -hmm. I'm going to tell a little story. Uh, please mm -hmm. bear with me, Todd. Mm -hmm. I do this a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. I stepped okay. into a room. And what looked like about a 65-year-old, well-traveled Green Beret is like, look, son, if you don't learn anything, you need to remember this. Leave things better than you got it, right? Now, in reality, he was probably 45 and just had a real hard life, right? But that really stuck with me, right? Mm -hmm. We can either sit there and complain or we can do something about it. Stand up and look around your neighborhood. If you want to make mm -hmm. things better, go talk to people. Invest in your neighbors. Invest in your community. Make a difference. You want to push back? this horrible far left agenda that's going on, go talk to your neighbors, regardless of race, creed, gender, involvement, whatever. Show them how much we all have in common. Bring them together under the tribe of the United States, right here, right up above my head, mm -hmm. and remind them of that. That's one simple, simple thing that each and every American can do, and we should be doing on a daily basis. We're stronger when we're united and together. What else can they do? There's a million and one groups out there that are making a difference. Go support your veterans in local nonprofits. Go support your veterans of the VFW, the American Legion. Support nonprofits that are making a difference in our country. You know, there's many people out there making a difference after storms, feeding people, bringing people together, taking care of our community. Those are ways to get involved. And if your heart tells you that you want to be involved in uh, supporting our Afghani people, reach out to people like me. You know, you can reach me at jcollinsforcongress at gmail.com. And I will put you in touch with somebody who will help you make a difference in the lives of the Afghani people. Uh, there are ways to serve. You just have, the, have to have the audacity to step in. And then if you really want to get crazy and you want to support people who want to enter into the political fray, again, go to my website, jcollinsforcongress.com, right? I'm running for Congress, but in the end, I'm running to represent the American people because I fought for and believe in what our values are of, by, and for the people, that's how we do this. Get involved, be present. We cannot have a silent majority anymore. We're all in this together, but we all have to stand up and fight for American values. Jay, before we before we close this out, I, I want you to tell us um, the story about your commitment to the service because it, it's a very poignant, it's very personal, but it shows your determination because you were injured. Um, your leg was injured early in your career, and then it later had complications. And at that point in time, from my understanding, and I may be using these, the wrong words, and Todd and you can correct me, but I mean, you, you would have had an honorable discharge, I think, at that point, but you were in Walter Reed. Tell us, tell the public that story, because it really demonstrates your, your commitment, your service, your love to the country. Absolutely. And, and thanks, Christine. It's, uh, I will tell you this, I feel blessed to have served 23 years. My wife did another 20, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that she retired, make sure she could lift me up, lift our family up. She gave up her career for the wealth, the health and welfare of our family because it was the right thing to do. So I owe her that she's a rock star, she's amazing. But my career, look, I served 23 years. I started off in 
intelligence, got into special forces a little bit later in life. And, you know, I'm thankful that I was selected. I went to uh, SFAS, Special Forces Assessment Selection in 2002. And uh, by the grace of God, I was told, look, we believe you have the traits to be a part of this regimen. Now you're gonna have to work hard and be a part of it. I was told to leave things better than I got it. So I trained. Eventually, after a few years, I was awarded the MOS 18 Delta Special Forces Medic. And it's, it's awe-inspiring to see the level of dedication, capability, uh, just genuine caring for those around them, their nation and the world stage that exists every single day. I never would have imagined how hard I had to work just to be average in these these groups of great Americans who make a difference on the world stage. So, you know, as with most things, life happens, right? Uh, we went to Afghanistan. I got hit in the arm. We did a fasciotomy on the fire base. Um, my junior medic, myself, and some members of the team Nothing can quite uh, you know, prepare you to help do surgery on yourself, but in the end, you got to do what you got to do, right? Uh, it was a blessing. Both hands still work, and uh, we moved forward, right? A little bit later on, I got hurt again, and uh, it was a little different, right? They were trying to overrun our fire base, and uh, it, it was a pretty tumultuous time. I ended up uh, getting hit with some shrapnel and went down a flight of steps and you know, just some crazy stuff, right? And it hurt my back, it hurt my leg, but you didn't really realize how, how bad it was because there's literally people attacking right. our base. What I knew was my brothers were right yeah. there. So what do you do? You don't lay there in the dirt, you stand up, dust yourself off, you crawl back up and you do your job. So that's what we did. And then it's the frog in the pot, right? You don't realize how bad it is until it's really, really bad. So as luck would have it, you know, we made it through the rest of the rotation, bandaged it up, and uh, you know, I started having issues with my leg. Like it was, I was tripping, falling. I wasn't able to walk the way I normally would. You know, I ignored it. I started taping my ankle, thinking it was just a weakness thing. I went to a couple of selection courses for other organizations. Uh, eventually, I was I was told, hey, you got the opportunity to come here and, and work for you through for a few years. And I showed up, and uh, we had a physical therapist there who was like, what's wrong with your leg? Like, what's going on here? I'd never realized that I had three inches of atrophy. My leg wasn't working. So I ended up going to Walter Reed for emergency back surgery. It turns out that I had blown out a few discs, jacked up my back a little bit, broken some bones off my off uh, in my upper back and had some real bad nerve issues from the compression and overpressure of, of that injury. Uh, so they did back surgery. We anticipated it would fix the problems. It really didn't. Uh, and things continued to get worse and worse. I ended up in a brace, still working as a Green Beret, uh -huh. in these high-level organizations, still jumping out of airplanes, trying to fast drug, shoot, move, communicate, you know, be the best that I could be. And, uh, Those you know, parachutes we don't help your back at all. No, yeah, well, it's not the parachute. It's actually smashing into the dirt at the bottom. That's the hard part. That's what but, I'm saying, uh, yeah. You know, as luck would have it, we got outside medical care. Uh, as I was being told, look, you're so broken, you're going to have to medically retire. Your career is done. It, it broke my heart. I wasn't ready to retire. I still have things I needed to do and wanted to do. Well, as luck would have it, these outside medical professionals were like, look, here's the issue. We don't know why and how it happened, but it seems like there's overpressure. It caused a lack of uh, lymphatic function in your leg. There's vascularity issues, both pushing the blood down and burning it up. That's why your leg's not working. You have distal nerve issues. So essentially your, your leg is done. You can cut it off later, you can cut it off now, but in the end, it's your choice. It's gonna to have to go at some point. 
So we made the, uh, the choice to let's chop this thing off. It's just a leg. It's just five toes, right? Uh, what gives us the best opportunity to live a normal life? I had mm -hmm. just had our first child. I knew that I wanted to be an active dad, if nothing else. There's no greater, um, there's no greater gift in life. Sure. Nothing more important than being a dad and a husband. And if I couldn't do anything else in life, I knew I needed to be a dad. I knew I needed to be a husband and be active in that role. And then if that works, maybe the next step is I can go ahead and remain on active duty. Maybe not as a Green Beret, but in some way, and I can serve my nation how I want to. And then if it gets really crazy, maybe you can stay in as a Green Beret. That was my ultimate goal, was to be a good husband and father, stay in the military, and continue serving as a Green Beret. Mm -hmm. The leg off. Uh, three months after amputation, I did my first triathlon. Six months after, I did a half marathon. One year after, I did my first marathon. The pain that was uh, overwhelming day in, day out uh, was gone three days after amputation. I was at a seven or eight out of 10 every single day and have been that way for years. It changes everything about you, how you think, how you feel, how you react. And uh, to have that burden lifted and gone was such a blessing, such a gift. And, you know, things started falling in place. You know, my wife uh, fortunately stood beside me. She retired to help get me up and raise me up. People raised our family up to get us through Walter Reed. And, you know, we were afforded the opportunity to go ahead and say, look, I want to be a Green Beret. I don't just want to serve. I want to hold my place in the regiment. And when I was afforded the opportunity to tell the leaders of the regiment that that's what I wanted, they were willing to stand side by side. I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to earn my place. And that's what mm -hmm. we were for. So uh, rather than be medically retired, which is what would have happened in 18 and a half years, I was able to serve another five and a half years after cutting my leg off uh, as a completely deployable, you know, full green beret, uh, just like anybody else. I just had to pack spare parts in my, in my rucksack when we did things, right? Just part of life. Uh, still remained on jump status, still did PT, still did everything that everybody else did. I was a fully qualified Green Beret. And, uh, you know, I got to give props to my family. I got to give mad props to the people who were willing to stand beside me and afford that opportunity to go ahead and break that barrier for many people. But in the end, it's service to our country and service to our people that matter. You know, we have tell to show people tell, that. Tell us a story about when you were at Walter Reed and one of the commanders or generals walked in and saw you. Uh, doing box jumps. Yeah. Explain, so, to the public, explain to the public what a box jump is. So literally, you know, I'm there and uh, I'm hyper-focused, right? As you guys can see, I may be a little passionate, a little driven as a human being, right? So rather than just learning how to walk, I was like, I don't, I'm already walking. I'm already running. Let's get going. So I'm doing box jumps at about 36 inches. I'm, I'm focused. I'm like, I'm jumping, you know, from the ground up on this, this platform, landing it, work on those explosive movements, kinetic balance, moving different things. Then we're moving and we're adding weight vests on there to make it more complex, right? More demanding. Just drive yourself forward. You know, I want to earn my place in the regiment. So I have to hold the standard. I'm not going to be the weak link. So literally I'm doing this. I'm a sweaty mess. And you can feel a presence behind you sometimes, right? Like the eyeballs in the back of your head, metaphorically speaking, right? And I turn around and there's this giant human being there. It's General Ray Odierno. Now, if you've never met him, he has a large presence and he's a great person, right? Uh, he's sat and talked. He's like, I see you're working hard. You're doing different things than the others. What's going on? 
So I told him my story. I said, look, I want to be able to stay in. And, and again, much to his benefit. And, uh, you know, he didn't have to do this. He supported that. He wanted to make sure I got a fair shot to go ahead and stay in the regiment. So he worked with the Sergeant Major of the Army. He worked with our folks to say, hey, look, let's give the guy a shot. He wants to stay in, be able to serve his country. If he can do it and be held to the standard, perfect. Let him do it. If he can't, he's willing to retire. That's all you ever ask. You know, our country doesn't guarantee outcomes. It guarantees opportunity. What do you oh, think about some of the weakening? What do you, what do you, real quick, what do you think about some of the weakening of standards in, the, in, in you know, like Ranger School, SF School, all that stuff? Is that a bad subject? <laughs> I, I think that war is an inherently ugly thing, right? We're not training people to go host parties in foreign countries. We're training them uh, for the worst moments at the worst time on the worst day of their life. We have to hold the standard high and we have to uh, continue to maintain that standard regardless. Now, there's always a little back and forth on this, but I will tell you, there is good leadership throughout special forces, throughout these schools. Do we sometimes lose our way? Sure, momentarily, but I think we self-correct and get back where we're supposed to be. Um, okay. It's not new. It's, it's happened repeatedly through history, right? Where it's a little deviation here. You come back on a course correction and uh, it's unacceptable, right? We can't let that standard drop because ultimately we do the, the nation's interest in bad places at the worst day. And you have to know that people have that capability. Yeah. Whether it's man, woman, it doesn't matter. If you can hold the standard, you should be able, be able to be a part of the regiment as long as you meet it. Sure. Thank you for your time. Jay, Jay. Thank you. Jay, thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your wife's service to the country, you know, and please keep in touch with us, um, you know, as the Afghanistan story evolves, because I, it, it's not over. We, we all know that it, it certainly is not over because we still have people left behind there. So I just want to thank you on behalf of us for joining us today. Christine and Todd, thank you for having me. It was my, my honor and my privilege to be here. I would be honored to, to help you anytime you, you need. Feel free to reach out to me. And uh, ultimately, yeah, Afghanistan's not over. This is just the first step. We didn't end the war by leaving. We, you know, uh, I think Crenshaw said this, right? We just lost a strategic foothold. This is this war is never going to end. It's an ideological philosophy with the Middle East, right? They want Sharia law across the world. This isn't a one-year, five-year, or ten-year war. This is a thousand-year war or longer. They believe that that's what the world needs, and they're committed to it. We have to stick our ground. We have to be committed to what Americanism and American ideas are about. If we're not as committed, you know, they 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 are. He who's committed wins. We can't That's let that true. happen. That is true. That is true about history. That's right. Well, Jay, thank That's you right. very much. Christine, thank you. Todd, thank you. Uh, Y'all have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Thank you.